0: This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and
1: Inglis. Entries are now open for the 2021 English Select Yealing Sale series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yealing Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. Lenny Beasley can't recall the name of the last horse he rode in a race. He knows the race was at Kembla Grange in 2007 and he knows Clary Connors was the trainer. He clearly remembers that he wasn't in a good space at the time. 14 years of torturous wasting was starting to play tricks with his mind and body and as he walked off the course that day, he knew he couldn't do it one more time. Any possibility of a change of mind was dispelled a few weeks later when the shock announcement came that the dreaded equine influenza was in Australia and the racing industry was shut down indefinitely. By the time racing resumed, Lenny Beasley weighed 74 kilos and his racing days were over. His short but brilliant career had brought him 1,200 wins, 101 stakes races and 15 group ones, including some of Australia's most famous races. He was prepared to walk away from the racing game, but he couldn't imagine a life without horses. He landed a job as a full-time track work rider at Lee Friedman's lavish complex on the Mornington Peninsula, where he spent one year. But he was missing Sydney and he jumped at the opportunity to transfer to Warwick Farm where he worked for two years exclusively for the Rick Worthington stable. Later, Bjorn Baker offered him a suitable full-time role that he filled very admirably until earlier this year when he made the decision to quit the saddle. I tracked him down last week and I got him feeling a little bit nostalgic about his golden days on the turf, and he agreed to join me on the podcast. Lenny, great to catch up at last.
0: G'day, John. How are you, mate? Thanks for
1: joining us on the podcast, mate. You tell me your weight has stabilised uh, at about 77 kilos, which is your natural body weight, but you were trying to exist at 20 kilos less for many years.
0: It was very, very hard, John. When I was fi- uh, 15 years old, the, the stewards put me on the scales, and I was 55, and they basically said, you know, hope, mm. and I got me weight down. There was one year I rode 40, 48 and a half or 49 and a half, I can't remember, mm. in the Melbourne Cup when I was like 21 or 22. like I actually really punished myself, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You must have very mixed feelings when you look at the much higher weight scale today. The heavier jockey today has got some hope, hasn't he?
0: Unbelievable. Like the opportunities these days and the money and the weights, the horses, it's its crazy. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. <laughs> mm.
1: v- very different to your time in the sport.
0: Very different, mate,
1: yeah. Well, mate, you've been riding work six days a week for 13 years. What? prompted your decision to quit?
0: Well, I lost my mum and my dad's not doing well, so I'm going to look after him, yeah. yeah.
1: You told me once it wasn't uncommon for you to lose four or five kilos in one day, and I remember you telling me a story once that you were in, in a Radox bath uh, trying to get rid of that last couple and you suddenly burst into tears.
0: Yeah, that's correct, yeah. It was painful. There, there, was, there was one day when I was riding in Macau, when I was in the barriers, mm. I, I pulled off four and a half kilos that day and they were about to let him jump and I cramped up. I couldn't move. Mm. I couldn't move. And I yelled out to the starter, not yet, not yet, not yet. Mm. And um, he let him go. And I, my my arm was just stuck. I couldn't move. Goodness yeah. Me. So yeah. you
1: got around safely, obviously.
0: I couldn't pull a whip.
1: <laughs> jockeys' wives have told me over the years that a jockey losing weight can be a very unpleasant person to be around.
0: I'd love to be a jockey's wife. The money they make. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: not likely to happen, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a fact, isn't it? I, I can remember oh, yeah. uh, two or three uh, illustrations or instances over the years where where the wife of jockeys have said to me, "Oh God, blimey, I don't know how much longer I can cop this."
0: Mm. You know, someone like Simon Marshall, Wayne Harris. Um, there's there's a lot. It's 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 horrible. It's it it's horrible. Yeah. You, mm. um, you have to be a jockey to know like. When you're dehydrated, you, you, you can actually, when you talk, you can hear yourself, like, it echoes in your ears. Like, I, mm. like jockeys will understand what I'm saying, but people won't. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you're not. understand, yeah. yeah. And boxers too, I think, you know, when, when they you know getting down to their weight. Mm.
1: Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning, Lenny Beasley. When you were growing up in Wollongong, your mm. dad, Doug, enjoyed a little flutter on the horses but apart from that, there was no racing background in your family at all.
0: No, I um, I just loved horses, and one day there was a horse tied up in a paddock, and I, I went, I went and asked the old lady, "Can I ride it?" And she said, "You can have it." Did and she? I, took it I took it home, and and Dad said, "What the bloody hell?" Mm. And um, cut a long story short. We gave the horse back, and Dad ended up buying me a horse. I learnt how to ride. And when I turned 15, oh, sorry, oh, yeah, I told Dad I want to be a jockey, mm. and he said, no, it's too dangerous. Um, you'll get too heavy. And
1: All the negatives.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. And Mum and Dad moved to from Wollongong to Dubbo, mm. and... I want I didn't I had no idea how to be a jockey. And i am pretty sure it's called the CES back then. Mm-hmm. The
1: Commonwealth Employment Service, correct. Just before we leave that pony that mum and dad bought you, Lenny, that was Coco, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that a gelding? Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't pleasant, was he? No. <laughs> <laughs> he could bite and nip a bit. Yeah. But he was a good pony club horse, obviously.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So Dad got the job transferred to Dubbo. You went to the CES.
0: Dad, Dad retired. Yep. And um, I, was, I actually walked in there to get a job as a trolley boy, like picking up the trolley. Mm. And then there was an opportunity It said apprentice jockey at Golgong. Mm. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, ended up at Golgong. Um the bloke was only paying me 50 bucks a week. Yeah. I rang Dad um, and he said, oh, he might just have you on trial. Anyway, after about six weeks, Dad's, Dad come and picked me up and um, got on the XP, oh, what an XPT is it, the train?
1: The train back to Wollongong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I knocked on Bernie Howlett's door.
1: It was the first door you knocked on. Yeah. And Bernie Howlett opened the door, former... Group one winning jockey and a very successful trainer. Well, okay. he he rode two Sydney Cup winners and one of them uh, defeated the great horse Tullock, which has given Bernie Howard great dinner party material ever since.
0: Yeah, sharply, yeah. Yes.
1: Now, Bernie didn't train your first winner. That honour goes to Jim Turner, who put you on a grey gelding called Coal Cellar one day at Queen Bairn. 1993, yep. no jockey forgets his first winner. Where were you in that race?
0: Well, it was the second emergency and I didn't even know if I had a run. Like, I, I, Yeah, and so I just jumped on the flight, mm. grabbed my bag, my saddles mm. and, uh, and got a run and um, I was on the fence and I just kept them pushing forward and mm. it was like 50 to 1 and, and I won. Mm. And then on the Tuesday, I rode two winners at Camlar. Mm. Then on the Saturday, I think I rode three winners at Nauru. So. I just mean, yeah. just I, I just needed opportunities. Yes. And, yeah.
1: You had to wait a while for your first city winner though, didn't you? It was 12 months before you rode a Metropolitan winner and this time it was for Bernie Hallett. And the horse was Jazz Stand at Rose That's, Hill. That must have been a hell of a thrill.
0: Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Then the next week, Bernie pulled me into his office and he said, um, Bart Cummings, um, Lee Friedman, i uh, uh, given you all these rides. And I I, I couldn't believe it, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. They were contacting Bernie. You didn't have an agent. He was your agent, I guess.
0: Uh, at, at the start, yes. hmm and then um, Ron Duffey he, he took over.
1: You spent the second half of your apprenticeship with Kerry Jordan at Rose Hill, and I know you had a good time there.
0: Oh, he was the best. He, he's just got the best heart, the nicest bloke, humble. Just oh, he's incredible. He 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 wanted me to be a jockey, not a stable hand. Mm. He let me go to Canamble, Cootabarabin, Maruya, Mm. you know, uh, everywhere. Mm. He just wanted me to to be successful, you
1: know. Mm. No, I know you had a good time with Kerry, who no longer trains. He relinquished his licence a few years ago. Still around, still lives in Sydney, but it was, uh, I believe, a loss to racing when he decided to depart the Sydney training ranks and he had a lot of success. One of his good horses was there when you started, a three-year-old by the name of Baryshnikov, who eventually won the 1995 Australian Guineas. But two runs before that, he put you on one day in a three-year-old race at Randwick where a couple of weeks earlier, Pope John Paul II had presided over a mass for the uh, beatification of Mother Mary MacKillop and they'd had timber walkways across the track uh, to get the huge crowds over the course proper without doing too much damage and those walkways had left imprints on the turf and those imprints were there for a long time. they were there the day you rode barishnikov
0: yeah I, I remember um, he, he sort of jumped it and um, but I, I reckon I slaughtered him <laughs> I reckon <laughs> right <laughs> you think you did. I know I did.
1: <laughs> but he jumped the crossing line.
0: Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. You were run and down and beaten the, the, by a horse the, called Urimbler.
0: The ground was really hard too, mm. I, I remember that day.
1: Well, he went on two runs later. He won the Australian Guineas with Jim Cassidy on board. <laughs> now, the first of your 15 Group Ones was the Salinger Stakes down the famous Flemington Strait on the Paul Perry-trained Notoire. That was your first time, I imagine, at Flemington.
0: Yeah, so that was uh, my me first Melbourne Cup on the Tuesday mm. and I was light at the time um, and poor Perry um, got me to ride. That's why he had 50 kilos mm. and it was my first ride in Flemington. Um, I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you were lost. I never rode it up in straight race, like I, yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, me and Danny Nicklick we went to the inside and the rest of the field went to the outside and, mm. yeah, me and Danny fought it out and, yeah, I got there, yeah.
1: Mm. And you were in disbelief, I'd imagine. I,
0: I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah.
1: You beat a horse called Rock You ran second, and Flavor ran third, yep. Yeah. Now, one of your early group ones, Lenny, was on the Max Lees train, Shindig, in the Coolmore yep. Classic at Rose Hill. Now, this is a funny little story. Max told you not to get too far back and not to get caught wide. Did you follow instructions?
0: No. I was back last <laughs> and I was the widest on the corner and it won.
1: <laughs> oh. oh, I remember I it well. I, I can still see it. It flew down the outside. A couple of weeks later, <clears throat> you won the Doncaster on Cattle and Opening for Bart Cummings and Dato Tan Chin Nam. It was the last of Catalan Openings' nine wins. You came from well back in that Doncaster too. Mm.
0: So everyone goes on about Belle de Jour, but I I personally, I I think that was my best ride, Catalan Opening. Mm. I I just, I planned, I I had a plan, like, and everything just worked. Mm.
1: Everything fell into place.
0: Absolutely, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember at the halfway mark, you only had three or four behind you.
0: Yeah, uh, Kevin Forrester, I think he was on a thing. I can't remember its name. Mm. And anyway, a long story short. Um, Grant Cooksley come out on Juggler, and I got. I, it just all opened up. Anyway, Darren Beedman pulled me to the side before the the race and said, "He's not a whip horse riding hands and heels, hands and heels, hands and heels." Mm the last bit with him, and you'll you'll find a bit. Mm. Whatever, Darren just, he won me the race, yeah. Yeah. Well, he'd ridden the
1: horse quite a number of times, hadn't he?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He won the the big race in Hong Kong on him, Mm. the uh, Vars, is it? Yes. Yeah.
1: You remember winning a Galaxy for Graham Rogerson on Masked Party who loved mm. a wet track and he got one that day.
0: Yeah, um, yeah definitely. And um, Gre- Greg Hall went up the inside on the Twire, mm. which was my first group one you winner. Know? Yeah. And um, we fought it out and, yeah, I won, yeah. yeah.
1: John Size was making a real name for himself among Sydney trainers around the 2000 mark and he asked you to ride a horse called Georgie Boy in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes. You can't get John size out of Hong Kong these days, Len.
0: Ah, oh, he's unbe- he's one of, one of the best yeah. Mm. John said to me, he said you'll win. He said just go to the front, get easy sectionals, and he'll sprint. And did he? What he he? I think he won by about eight. Oh, you know? he won
1: comfortably, won by a good margin. Yeah,
0: yeah like a 40 to 1, or a, it was a big price. Like John Cyre's like the best judge I've ever, ever come across in racing. Yep. Really? Yep.
1: If he declared them, they won?
0: Always, always.
1: Interesting to note the first prize in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes back then was a paltry $572,000. Nowadays, it's, it's 2 million plus to the winner.
0: Crazy, eh?
1: How things have changed.
0: I wish Vol's a jockey.
1: <laughs> Gay Waterhouse utilised your services a lot in the early 2000s, and you won a lovely Group 1 double for Gay the size produce and the champagne steaks on a filly called Hasna in the Corombean colours. She won both by big margins, Lent.
0: What a beautiful horse she was, mate. She mm-hmm. she um oh, she just tried so hard. I reckon I should have won the slipper on her. I I said to Gay, mm-hmm. "Can I go forward?" And she, had, uh, sorry, can I ride it back? Sorry, mm-hmm. and Gay said, "No, listen, young man, you got to go forward." And oh. yeah. Anyway, I ran third in the slipper, and then I said in the champagne the size, please just let me ride a little bit quiet. She goes, all right, all right, and she smashed them.
1: Yeah, Um, you had to talk her into it. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Mm. Polar success won the slipper you're talking about, written by Danny Beasley.
0: It just followed uh, me, yeah.
1: mm. He followed you.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I should have been where he was. (laughs) Mm.
1: You won the champagne stakes again. On a filly called Carry On Cutie, a couple of years later for Graham Roger- Rogerson, good good yeah. race for you, the Champagne.
0: Graham Graham said to me, he said, "Mate, it'll win." Mm. It, it was like forty to one, <laughs> and I just thought, "Yeah." Anyway, it won.
1: Yeah. yeah. And was it always going to win?
0: Uh, it was off the bed. Back then, there was no whip reels. I think she was a little bit lazy. Mm. And I, I, I think I smacked her at the 600 around the. Yeah. And um, yeah. She was just lazy. Yeah.
1: There was a very underrated sprinter miler getting around in the year 2000 by the name of Al Mansour, who started with Bruce McLaughlin and later came to John Size. You rode him a few times. You won a couple of lovely races on him. The Group One George rider. And mm. the group two, Shannon Stakes, he was underrated, wasn't he, El Mansour?
0: Oh, he, he, he was a good horse. I remember when I won that group one on him, when I jumped after the barriers, Glenn Boss, mm. he just pushed me onto the fence and I was, oh, thought I'm stuffed here. Mm. And, and, yeah, just everything went to plan. And I think i would be Jimmy Cassidy on something, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. no, he, he was a good horse, yeah.
1: Well, Bossy did you a favour.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah.
1: Len, just hold on there for a moment. We'll clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll be back with you after this. Group racing will command most attention on provincial and metropolitan tracks for the remainder of September, but there are three outstanding showcase Country Cup meetings coming up. On Sunday the 13th, The $100,000 Dubbo Gold Cup will attract a city standard field and will be supported by the $50,000 Showcase Picnic Championship for approved amateur riders. On Thursday the 24th, the Lismore Turf Club will present its $75,000 cup with three other $50,000 races on the program. On Sunday the 27th, Bathurst Thoroughbred Racing will showcase the Panorama worth $80,000 and the $40,000 Bathurst Cup. Other country highlights in September include the $32,000 Toncurry Foster Cup on Friday, September the 11th, and the $25,000 Bowraville Cup on Saturday the 19th, while the Leeton Jockey Club will run the $22,000 Lillipilly Cup on monday september the 28th other country clubs to run cup meetings this month are colorinabri griffith baraba ingonia grenfell gerildare while the manila cup will be run at Gunnar. new south wales country racing goes cup crazy in september special guest is former jockey lenny beasley winner of 15 group one races You'll always remember the year 2000 as the year of Belle du Jour because she overcame massive difficulties at the start before storming home to win the Golden Slipper. Firstly, wasn't she a doll of a filly?
0: Ah, oh, me and her just had this thing.
1: yeah, oh, great, a- great rapport.
0: Like, even track work, she'd put her head down and ah, oh, oh, and like, give me, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, she'd hack it's, around. We're, we're best mates. Mm. Yeah,
1: now, Lenny, take us back to the start of that golden slipper. I mean, anybody who was there will never forget it, or those watching on, on Sky Racing, it was the most incredible sight when the gates opened. She leapt in the air now, what was she thinking
0: so um she 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 was she tried she was how do I explain it tried to jump too quick she jumped in the air mm. instead of like jumping out and it's just such a trier mm. and oh, when that happened, I thought to myself. Something come back to me, had Bernie Howlett said to me, if you miss the kick, don't push up, Don't pu- just take your time and you'll catch up. Mm. If you push forward, um, you'll end up running up their bums and you mm. have to check. So, I, I, yeah, I'd done what he said and mm. then when we got to the corner, I sort of panicked a little bit and I, I yelled out to Larry Cassidy. Just move out. Just move out, and he shoved me back in.
1: (laughs) Good old Larry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Then, um, from there, it just everything opened up, and and she wanted to win. She wanted to, yeah.
1: But even so, you know, when you got to the outside and gave her clear air, I mean, you couldn't imagine that she could still pick him up.
0: Crazy. She's just. The best horse I've ever ridden, yeah.
1: It was astonishing. Now, go back to the start again. When she jumped in the air, mm. she went dead straight. Now, what happens if she goes left or right? You couldn't have stayed on.
0: Who knows? I probably could because I was a good rider.
1: <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> it, but it was astonishing. And the scenes in the mounting yard after the race were unforgettable. John Singleton put a bear hug on the part owner Bob Hawke and went mm. very close to making history as the only man to suffocate a former prime minister. <laughs> do you remember the scenes in the birdcage?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah, and on the ground and... Oh.
1: Yeah. Astonishing, um, wasn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. Crazy.
1: Now, Shingo made that legendary offer to shout for the bar. Mm. And the queue stretched from the racecourse to Elizabeth Farm.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, crazy. Yeah,
1: I think they were still there till eight o'clock at night. The drinkers,
0: I'd say so. Oh, I think it was only. I think it was only for an
1: hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Shingo put a put a ceiling on it, did he?
0: He claimed it back on his tax. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You'd won the Kindergarten Stakes and the Reisling Trial on Belle de before the slipper, and you won a three-year-old race on her next preparation, making a total of four. Now, you got on her again a long time after in the twice. Group 1. Twice more? You rode her in the Group 1 Shima Classic in Dubai, and didn't she race well in that? She ran fourth.
0: Oh, mate, that... One of my biggest thrills in racing, going to Dubai. Um, I spoke to Frankie Dutoy. Mm-hmm. I spoke to. I spoke to all the famous jockeys that were riding, and they said to me, Lenny, just jump and just let them run. You can't you can't ride in quiet here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Clary wanted me to ride a quiet. Anyway, I ran fourth. I reckon I would have ran second if I had of, um, let her run.
1: Right. It wouldn't have brought her undone, bustling would it? I, I keep thinking of the uh, Golden no. Slipper win.
0: No, no, no. That's what Clary was thinking. Like, you've got to ride a quiet, yeah. Mm. But on them, them dirt tracks, you, you've just got to go flat out, yeah, yeah.
1: The very yeah. first time you got on Stratum. You won your second golden slipper in 2005. Yep. Darren Biedman had won the Pago Pago on him. Why didn't mm. Darren ride him in the slipper?
0: Because he was committed to John Hawks, the Ingers at the time. Oh, I see. And where I used to sit at Rose Hill in the jockey's room, I overheard Darren say, I, I can't ride him. Anyway, I waited until uh, Darren walked away and... I ran out, and I said, "Paul," and I pulled him to the side and said, "Mate, I, I haven't got a ride in the slipper." He mm. yes, i "Oh, leave it with me." Anyway, when we're driving home from the races, Paul rang and said, "You can ride him." I couldn't believe it. I I, I knew he was mm. the winner. Mm. Anyway, on race day, going to the barriers. Oh, mate, the feel of this horse. Mm. I just, I, I, I just. He had his ears pricked and oh, and I just knew. Him. I just knew I was going to win. Yeah. He was, was alive. From the, in the race, from the 700 to the 500, I had a really, really good breather, like easy sectionals. Mm. And when, when I straightened, I pushed him and I kicked. Mm. And I'm not real good, well, I wasn't real good with the last whip. Mm. Um, I had it in the right. Anyway, I slapped him mm. and he ducked out and oh, I had to pull it over to the left because, mm. yeah, anyway, he won. But Mick Deep had done the same thing too with the left in a golden slip, I remember, years ago.
1: Mm. Mm. I wonder which remember, one that was. Uh,
0: you had to pull the stick over to the left and Mick mm. wasn't real good with the left. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, it
1: might have been Bint Marskay. She finished wide out on the track.
0: Could have been, yeah, but um, I was just so confident with Stratum. I, I, I just knew he was going to win. Mm.
1: He only won as a two-year-old. He died about four years ago after siring something like thirty stakes winners, mm. and he sired a golden slipper Dreamer. winner too, Lenny Crystal Lily,
0: and Streamer.
1: Yeah, Streamer, top mare, wasn't she? The guy was. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. He, he he was a good stallion. Yeah. Mm.
1: Now. This is the point where we should acknowledge a couple of things. Firstly, you've already mentioned Darren Biedman. You were his greatest fan.
0: Oh, best I've ever seen. Mm. You know, I've rode against Lester Pickett, um, the world's best, but I remember one day I was riding a race at Gosford and I was following Darren. I was in a bit of an awkward spot, but I knew I was following Darren, and I just said to myself, "Just stay here." Just, I was just so calm. Like,
1: yeah, you, and uh, yeah, you knew he'd do the right thing,
0: and he still beat me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was the best, mate. He, he's in my forty year, forty three years of living. He's the best I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's an astonishing compliment. He'll be humbled by it. Uh, I dare say some racing people will be surprised by it, uh, mm. but you've said that all along from the day when you were riding alongside of him and sitting in the jockey's room alongside of him.
0: Yeah, but also like, he's just such a nice bloke and he's there to help anyone. Like mm. it's Just the best-hearted bloke ever. Yeah.
1: What you see is what you get.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Second point. Your brilliant association with Paul Perry, one of your staunchest supporters. Mm. You had a oh, great run together.
0: He, he, I, I don't even know what how how to He put me on every horse that he had at Scone, um, Wyong. God, just I, I rode all his horses. He he never let me down. He was. Just it, it we had a great association, yeah. Yeah.
1: You were associated with one of Gay Waterhouse's best ever horses early mm. in his career, Grand Army. You <laughs> won a Newcastle maiden on him in the spring of two thousand and two, and it must have been Cameron Handicap Day because Gay was there, and you mm. said something to her when you dismounted. <laughs>
0: I um I drew Barry 18 and I was probably seven wide the whole way with no cover. it, mm. it was a slaughter job <laughs> it was a it was a bad ride <laughs> and come around the corner I got pushed out even wider and he I just slapped him down the neck and he just he won by about bloody three <laughs> uh, he had a leg on him uh, anyway Gabe was she didn't even see the race mm. she was running late. Anyway, when I got off the horse, she come running and said, "Ah, oh, oh, you won, did you?" Oh. and um, I said, "Gay, this'll win the Doncaster this year." She goes, "Oh, stop being silly, young man!" <laughs> did she?
1: And she'd be shaking the finger at you, wagging Wonder- the finger.
0: <laughs> there was a there was a bloke that that's the bloke that strapped the horse um, and looked after him hmm. every. Ten dollars. Every twenty dollars he had spare, he'd put on at a hundred to one. Mm. Anyway, it won
1: in the Doncaster. Yeah. Well, that was the following autumn, the 2003 Doncaster. Uh, mm. He was too light for you, Danny Beasley wrote him, no relation. And then he yep. won another six more groups, uh, for six more Group Ones, for mm. five point three million dollars in prize money. You're a pretty good judge, aren't you? <laughs>
0: I don't know about
1: that, but anyway. <laughs> well, only last week, Warwick Hales told me that you rode a horse called Mr. Bureaucrat for him in his first barrier trial. He ran about fifth. You came back and said, Warwick, this will be the best horse you've ever trained. <laughs> now, he wasn't Grand Army, but he did win mm. a Doomban Cup. He won mm. a Bernhardt Stakes and a Hollandale Stakes. So there's another one, another product of your judgment.
0: He um he that that horse just oh he was so, so strong and so like tried hard and just the oh, You just, liked him. Yeah, he mm. just did nothing wrong, jumped good. You could do anything, yeah.
1: Yeah. You had four rides in the Melbourne Cup with no result but it's something for you to dine out on. You rode Grandmaster one year for Bart and he ran a nice race, Lenny. He gave a bit of cheek.
0: Well, Bart Cummings said to me, I want you to ride Grandmaster the way Darren rode Saintly. Anyway, so I went over. It. Um, anyway, at the 600, all the horses come off the fence and I, I was still like, Bolton, mm. and I could see everyone like pushing and pushing. I'm still sitting, mm. and I thought, geez, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win." Mm. Anyway, when I went for him, there was nothing. <laughs> no, no, exactly.
1: And it was a hot field. Might and power beat De Remus that year. That was 1997. Yeah. Now we're going to change to a rather bizarre subject. You had accepted a short-term contract to ride in Singapore in 2002 and you and your first wife, Natalie, booked a brief holiday in Bali. Mm. You and Natalie walked out of the Sari Club one hour before the horrific blast. I can't imagine your feelings when you heard the news later. You were back at your hotel by then. Yeah, I
0: was actually riding in Sydney at that time. John. Mm, yep. Uh, yeah, and we—I got suspended, and uh, she she wanted to go to Bali for a holiday. Mm. Anyway, we we arrived there that day, and we went to Jimbaran Bay for seafood, and it's really—it's really, it's really nice. I don't. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. And, um, we went back to Coda. I said, "Oh, let's stop. We'll just have a beer." And she goes, "Oh, you just always want to have a beer, or oh, whatever." <laughs> and uh, we went in. And um, I said, can we have another another one? She got the shits. (laughs) Is that
1: that why you left?
0: Then we had a little bit of an argument and said, no, no, we're going, we're going, we're going. Let's go, let's go. We're, We're not staying. And an hour later, yeah.
1: How did you hear about it? I, I so imagined then, the streets so we would be back, full of people.
0: We went back to the hotel and back then you had the ears mm. and when I woke up, I, I had 99 missed calls because it didn't go up to 100 mm. and we had the the phone off the hook in the hotel Anyway, we put it on and it rang straight away and it was Natalie's mum mm. And, and she was crying saying, oh, you are all alive. Of course, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God, it was awful. Mm. Then here is another story that illustrates the old adage that some things are meant to happen. Mm. 2004, you'd been in Phuket for a short break mm. and you and Natalie left a holiday resort two days before the deadliest tsunami in history which killed mm. 230,000 people in 14 countries.
0: So I was suspended. I was running to Singapore at the time and, yeah, I was suspended. And the room that we had was right on the water, but, like, under, like, you got to walk downstairs, like, under the ground, like, mm. yeah. And, um, like, if, if 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 we had been in our room, we would have had absolutely no hope. But anyway, um, we we're going to extend our holiday, and I thought, no, nah, I've got to get back to get mm-hmm. me weight down, and get back to work. And we're bloody lucky, mate. Mm, twice, I had the whole family had had everything. Yeah. We would have been all all gone, yeah.
1: Mm. One of your old fans asked me recently to ask you this question. During your years of track work riding, which was about 13 all up, did you ever contemplate having one serious crack at a comeback? I think you did get your weight right down at one stage, but you you only got it so far.
0: I got down to like 59. Hmm. Ah, oh, and, and it felt like back in the day, like it was, I was like 48. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, yeah, yeah. It was, oh, it was just too hard. So you stopped. I'm, I'm just, I'm not a jockey. Like, I don't have, I'm not naturally light.
1: No, there was an expression about you uh, that I used once in a story some time ago. Somebody once described you as a bloke who had the mind of a jockey inside the body of a rugby league halfback. I think Mm. that sums it up.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
1: yep. You're the father of four great kids, Lachlan's 22, Brent is 20, Jared is 17, all making their way in the world, while your daughter Annabelle from your second marriage to Shannon is just four and a half years old and you'll be watching their progress very closely.
0: And and Alyssa, my my um when I got married to Natalie, she already had a girl. Ah, right. Yeah. Alyssa, yeah.
1: yeah. So you've got five.
0: Got to, five, to yeah. Keep an eye on. Yeah.
1: That'll keep you busy. Yeah. Well then it's great to catch up. Uh, People often ask uh, the question, whatever happened to Lenny Beasley? Well, we can tell them that following your retirement as a race rider in 2007, you became a professional track work jockey. Uh, You gave it away just six months ago. And uh, I don't think you've outlined any plans for the immediate future because you want to look after your dad, Doug.
0: That's right, John. Thank you very much, mate.
1: Lovely to catch up, mate. Thanks for your time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and Ingress.